from the Great Jarmuthan District Talking Newspaper Association. Hello and welcome to online version number 20 of Grapevine. Officially entitled Volume 40, Number 32, and recorded on the 7th of August 2020. In this week's news, COVID-19 discovered at both a local pub and a children's nursery. Galston High Street gets its parking back. And a new millionaire cancels a trip around half the world and comes to Great Yarmouth. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Margaret, and so it will be no surprise that we also welcome Dusty, Margaret too, and Julie. However, let's start with the first part of the news. Hello everyone, I'm Margaret and I'm bringing you the news for this week. Ably assisted by the trusty trio of Dusty, Margaret and Julie. And if that wasn't enough to get excited about, I shall be meandering through the Yarmouth Mercury of September 1963. So if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin with the first part of the news. Four people at Children's Nursery test positive for coronavirus. Four people at a nursery have tested positive for coronavirus in a Galston nursery, following a pub worker who suffered the same fate. Parents at the nursery in Galston have been informed of the outbreak, with all four people part of the same bubble and everyone in the group now isolating for 14 days. Louise Smith, Director of Public Health for Norfolk, said county and local levels remain low and praised the nursery for its quick response to limit the spread of the virus. She said, We are working with colleagues at Public Health England, the NHS and Great Yarmouth Borough Council following an outbreak of coronavirus at a nursery in Galston. Four people at the nursery have tested positive for the virus. They are all in the same group bubble at the nursery and everyone in that group is now isolating for 14 days. The nursery has acted quickly to prevent the spread of the virus and is being supported closely by Public Health England. The latest cases come after eight staff members at Weatherspoons at the William Adams pub began self-isolating after coming into contact with an infected colleague during the week beginning July the 27th. The Gorston High Street pub underwent a thorough cleaning ahead of a visit from the Environmental Services team, which found all correct procedures were followed. Dr Smith said, This is the second business affected by the virus in the town. At this stage it's not possible to say if these two incidents are connected. However, we are monitoring this closely. Anyone in the area who has symptoms can help prevent the spread and protect others by isolating and booking a test by calling 119 or visiting www.nhs.uk. Tests are free and anyone with symptoms is eligible. The symptoms are a continuous cough, high temperature and a loss of taste or smell. The best way to protect ourselves and others is to keep washing our hands, keeping our distance 
avoid touching our faces and wearing a face covering where it is required. Seafront Hotel Reopening delivers £2,000 charity boost. A hotel easing out of lockdown has given regular guests a taste of the new normal and raised £2,000 for good causes. The charity evening held at Great Yarmouth's Imperial Hotel saw guests try out the new one-way system and sample the new menu as staff went through their new COVID-safe paces ahead of the reopening on August the 1st. Owner Nick Mobbs said it had been a very difficult and challenging four months. However, the support from guests and diners had been overwhelming and the Eat Out to Help Out scheme was also proving a boost. Money raised at the charity evening is being split between Medical Detection Dogs and Prostate Cancer UK. Aileen Mobbs said, Before the onset of COVID-19, I'd been planning on volunteering for this amazing charity, which trains dogs to detect the odour of human diseases, such as cancer. During lockdown, I read that they were developing a project to train dogs to detect COVID-19 as well. Nick and I are both devoted dog lovers and we're really happy to support this little charity. The other £1,000 is winging its way to Prostate Cancer UK, who we had planned to support on Father's Day in June. Another cause close to our hearts. Work begins on town's exciting new skate park. Construction of a new skate park has started after years of planning between the skating community and councillors. The new skate park at Cobham in Great Yarmouth will replace the wooden park in the same location, next to the multi-use games area off Mill Road. Made of reinforced concrete, the new upgraded facility will include ramps and grind rails set into a polished surface, with work expected to last six to eight weeks. Funding from Great Yarmouth Borough Council and housing developer contributions was agreed following a request to councillors by young people from youth charity MAP and the local skating community. Councillor Penny Carpenter, chairman of the council's environmental committee said, this is a great example of where our young people, supported by our excellent neighbourhoods and communities team and local councillors have shared their views and essentially led on bringing forward this new and exciting facility for their community. This is a lovely story. She really is a legend. Holiday makers joy as stranger hands in lost wallet with cash intact. A holiday maker has hailed the actions of a kind stranger who returned his wallet full of cash. Carl Regan and his family, who are on holiday in Caister, were shopping in Regent Road in Great Yarmouth when he realised his wallet containing cards, his driving licence and £140 in cash was missing. In a panic, he retraced his steps and found out a woman on a mobility scooter had picked it up. After more frantic searching and scanning the crowds for people using the vehicles, it emerged it had been handed in to the town's police station. Expecting the cash to be gone, he was nevertheless relieved to be spared the aggravation of cancelling his cards. 
But he was astounded to discover the good Samaritan, who had picked up his wallet, had taken nothing for themselves and left only their name. Mr Regan from Baldock in Hertfordshire said the holiday at Haven would have been ruined had the wallet not been returned. As it was, he said his faith in human nature had been restored, adding, there are still some good people out there. Armed only with her name and determined to show his gratitude, Mr Regan found Tracy Turrow on Facebook and arranged to call in. It was lovely who said, you would not expect it. We'd only just arrived and would have completely ruined the holiday, but thanks to Tracy, that hasn't happened. The policewoman who gave it to me said, it's extremely rare to get them handed in with any cash inside and that I was very lucky. She really is a legend. To thank her for returning his property, Mr Regan appeared on her doorstep with flowers, chocolates, some money in a card, along with pebbles painted for her by his daughters. He said she was old school and had been brought up to do the right thing and hadn't thought twice about handing it in. Mrs Turo said being in the spotlight was a bit embarrassing, adding, I only did what any decent, honest person would do, but hopefully it will tweak others into doing the same thing. They are a lovely family and really did not need to reward me. Just a thank you would have been enough. His girls painted pebbles for me and I will treasure those. We are heartbroken. Restaurant at Holiday Resort closes down due to coronavirus. A restaurant at Potter's Resort has closed down due to the impact of coronavirus, with the owner stating some tough decisions will have to be made for the family-run holiday business to survive. The Black Rock Grill in Hopton announced on Friday, July the 31st, it would not be reopening as it was not viable to operate with social distancing. News of the closure has been greeted with sadness and at the resort itself, owner John Potter said, we're heartbroken. It was something we were very proud of. Uniquely for the region, diners at the restaurant would cook their own food on slabs of volcanic granite heated to 4,400 degrees centigrade. It was a highlight of one of the many offerings at Potter's, but it is unfortunately a victim of this pandemic, Mr Potter said. It's a very sad day. It was my baby 11 years ago, and I was really proud of the fact that despite it being very novel to cook their own food at the table, 11 years on, it was more popular than ever. The restaurant was not viable, however, when the resort's core business was selling holidays and short breaks, he said. We're a holiday business, not a restaurant business. We have to focus on our core business to survive this. Another priority was keeping residents safe, he added. The family resort, one of the oldest of its kind in the UK, was celebrating its 100th anniversary this year when coronavirus hit. And although Mr Potter laments the loss of the Black Rock Grill, he is determined the resort will face down the challenge. We've survived wars, floods, fires, and we will survive this, he said. It's just a blip, a big blip in the scheme of things. When you get to 100 years, 
these things get put into perspective. It might seem like the end of the world when you see it from close up, but in 100 years we've gone up, down and across. He said, there's nothing positive to come out of this pandemic. People are dying and losing their jobs. But from a purely business perspective, I'm not going to let potters go down on my watch. We have to make some tough decisions now to keep going for another hundred years. Last month, the resort, which employs around 800 people, began redundancy consultations with the company stating job losses are something they will reluctantly have to consider. We're hoping to save as many jobs as we can, Mr Potter said. He has also not entirely ruled out the possibility that the grill could reopen sometime in the future, if circumstances change. Phones have gone mad. Circus dealing with the fallout after the lockdown U-turn. Phones have been ringing incessantly at a circus on the coast after the government's U-turn over lockdown easing. The Hippodrome in Great Yarmouth had been preparing to be the first theatre in Britain to reopen with a socially distant performance on August the 1st. But these hopes were dashed after the Prime Minister announced a halt to the easing of restrictions. Peter Jay, owner, has said that since the news, the phones have gone mad, with customers asking for refunds and rebookings. The performers, who had been getting ready for a dress rehearsal when the announcement was made, have a day off today to get over the shock of yesterday, Mr J said, adding that the rehearsal went fantastic. Hopefully we can start again in a couple of weeks, he said. Customers can ring the box office for a refund or a voucher to be used on another date or show. The new box office number is 01493 738877 and is open every day from 10am to 5pm. Ahead of the planned reopening, the circus said their 1903 built venue was well placed to allow for social distancing with its many aisles and entrances, while opening at 30% capacity. The summer show is scheduled to run until September the 20th and stars Jack Jay and Johnny Mac. The circus has confirmed it will be able to host the unique water spectacle with swimmers alongside dancers and daring acts. The Hippodrome has been closed since March. From seafront revamp to town centre changes, £32 million is to be invested in local projects. This investment in projects across Norfolk and Suffolk will create more than 1,000 new jobs in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Great Yarmouth's seafront, the Food Innovation Centre in Broadland and North Walsham's town centre are among 13 projects that have all been listed for a share of £900 million getting building fund by the government. Yarmouth's new water and leisure visitor attraction will see a further £20 million of additional funding to rebalance the area's local economy and boost the area by some £260 million. The new Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership, LEP, 
said as well as creating new infrastructure and projects in the region, the funding will safeguard more than 2,900 jobs and aims to be delivered in 18 months. Doug Field, its chairman, said, it shows the government's commitment to our area and allows us to work with partners to bring forward key infrastructure projects and help us achieve the goals in the new Economic Recovery Restart Plan and Economic Strategy. The creation of an energy sector operations and maintenance campus in Great Yarmouth is also included, as well as the development of the county's three enterprise zones in Great Yarmouth, Kings Lynn and Norwich Research Park. The Food Innovation Centre will receive funding for bespoke food grade incubator units, test kitchens and sensory testing facilities. Integrated with a food hub delivering in-depth innovation support to 90 food processing businesses. Mr Fields said, these projects will help us deliver on our ambitions to be a fantastic place to live, work and learn. From providing new community facilities and training centres to redeveloping our town centres and supporting our key sectors, the projects will accelerate local growth and support our economic recovery. Through the development, a cluster programme will be created across the food sector in Norfolk and Suffolk and run by Ethel Innovation and the University of East Anglia. North Walsham Town Centre Revitalisation Programme has also been listed to benefit from funding to make the centre more accessible. The local full fibre network, LFFN, will also benefit to implement ultra-fast broadband into 80 additional public buildings through its network across Norfolk, specifically within rural communities. The creation of a new Integrated Care System Academy at the University of Suffolk and additional funding for New Anglia LEP's Business Resilience and Recovery Scheme, which offers grants to businesses as they recover from the effects of the pandemic. Thanks, Margaret. The other Margaret now, who will be followed very closely by Julie. So, hello again, everybody. And as we set off again down memory lane, I just wonder how many of you recall a lovely radio programme that so many of us listen to called Children's Hour. And those of you who are too young to have listened to it may have heard your old relatives and friends talking about it because it was so much part of our lives as kiddies and there was a big outcry when with the advent of TV it was discontinued. But Children's Hour was broadcast at tea time every evening from Monday to Friday on the radio station known as the Light Programme, which I suppose today would be Radio 2. And as we all know, TV was practically unknown in those years after World War II. And so the magic hour was round about five to six o'clock and something lovely to look forward to after school. On Friday it was really special. Children's hour and no more school until Monday. A lovely broadcaster who was known as Uncle Mac used to introduce the programme and he was its mainstay. 
His name was Derek McCulloch and he was much loved. And at the end of every programme he would finish with the words, Good night children, everywhere. This was because the programme had been broadcast all through World War II, where many children were evacuated, separated from their families and often living in very difficult conditions. So although as children we were lucky enough to grow up in the early years of peacetime, it was still good night children everywhere. And so we gathered round the radio set for children's hour at tea time, always hoping that the reception would be clear. In those days there was often a lot of interference and the older folk would call it them old atmospherical's which was a good a good description actually. Today it would drive everyone to distraction but I suppose we were used to it and we always managed. I don't remember a great deal about the actual programmes but there would be something for all age groups as far as possible. One real favourite was Tales from Toy Town which was introduced by a very catchy tune. Larry the Lamb was usually the main character, who was always getting into scrapes and saying, I'm only a little lamb, sir. There was also Ernest the Policeman, the Mayor, and I think a very grumpy shopkeeper. Another series was about sinister goings-on in the Tower of London. It was really thrilling. And it opened with the words, He who holds the Tower of London has the keys of England in his hand. And I remember one episode where a character called Father Pole was taken out to be executed. Scary, maybe, but haven't children always enjoyed being scared? And there was also a series called Cowley's Farm. And once some children who were due to visit the farm, when there had been some kind of infection scare, managed to convince the farmer's wife that it would be perfectly safe because they had somehow contrived to go through a tank where the sheep were dipped. What on earth would health and safety make of that, I wonder? But there was another programme called Children's Favourites and that was broadcast on Saturday mornings at about 10 o'clock. So if going to the children's film show at the cinema wasn't quite your cup of tea, you could listen to that instead, as long as you were not helping Dad or Grandad in the garden. Many of the songs were very catchy and memorable. One that was often played was Nellie the Elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. I imagine what a stir that would cause these days. However, just at the time when we felt in need of something a bit more sophisticated, a wonderful series called Journey into Space was launched on Monday evenings. This was about 1954 and it was very advanced stuff indeed. It involved a crew of four men in a spaceship called the Discovery who were to make a landing on the moon or presumably die in the attempt. Needless to say they succeeded and after many amazing adventures they made it safely back to Earth. Although at one point they got involved with some time travellers and found themselves stranded in a remote area which would later be in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And there were two follow-on series about journeys to Mars and they were equally exciting. All three series have been rebroadcast on Radio 4 Extra in the last few years and of course a lot of the attitudes are very very dated. One incident struck me especially when, after landing on the moon safely, the crew waited for the dust which they had stirred up to settle. The captain, whose name was Jet Morgan, said, gentlemen, 
here we are. And they all relaxed for five minutes to have a fag. Great stuff. But in spite of all that, it was wonderful entertainment and sparked off an interest which is still with me today. Friends must regularly groan inwardly when I describe the latest TV programme I've watched about the outer reaches of the solar system or black holes in the centre of the galaxy, etc, etc. But of course, it wasn't all about listening to the radio. Uh, where I was fortunate enough to spend much of my childhood, we lived in a cul-de-sac in Galston. And as there were only two or three cars, and a wide turning area at the bottom, which we called the ring, it was completely safe. It was there that we played round us, and when the ball went into people's front gardens, we could always have it back with a kind smile, so long as we asked politely. At that time, there were easily a dozen or so youngsters living on our avenue, with several who regularly came from outside, and also during the summers, several who came year after year to stay with their grandparents and became honorary members of the gang. Our ages ranged from four or five right through to the early teens, and apart from the usual childish squabbles, we seemed as if we all got, got on pretty well together. Bats and balls, kites, skipping ropes, scooters and three-wheeler trikes were our playthings. Also hopscotch, when we could get hold of a piece of chalk to mark the pavement. There was one lamppost where we all gathered, and for some reason we were convinced that it was not safe and would fall down, and this added a lot to the fun. And in turn, as we all grew older, we graduated to proper two-wheeler bikes, and in time we regularly took off for bike rides in the nearby countryside. We never came to harm, and nobody had to worry about us. And as well as the avenue, we also had an open area just off the main road, which we called the field. And it was a wonderful place to play. On it was a pile of bricks. And for some reason, we called them the monkey bricks. Whether we thought the monkeys were coming to build, I don't know, but that was what we called them. But on one occasion, it was a Sunday morning, and my father was sternly taking me, a bit reluctantly on my part, to church. As we passed the field, he spotted my toy panda, which I'd forgotten about and left sitting on the pile of bricks all night. Oh dear, I was filled with remorse. However, we left him there, we mustn't be late for church, and rescued him on the way back. He was damp, bedraggled and looked altogether downcast. So when we got home, he was cleaned up with carbolic soap and water and put to dry in the lovely oven, which at that time was heated from the fire in the living room. And that, I think, is a good place to leave you with memories of a dry and happy panda. So once again, thank you for listening to me, and please stay safe in these difficult times. Julie here speaking to you again. Now, um, the first um, thing I'm going to uh, read to you follows on from Margaret's thought about the church. And it's headed up housing problem. Married couple, after being shown around the house they were buying in the country, suddenly realised that they had not noticed where the WC was. 
So they wrote to the vicar who had shown them around the house, asking him where it was. The vicar, being ignorant as to the term WC, thought it might mean Wesleyan Chapel. Imagine the surprise of the couple when the following reply arrived. Dear Sir, I regret to inform you that the WC is five miles from the house, which is a great pity if you are in the habit of attending regularly. However, it may be of interest to you to know that some people take their lunch and make a day of it. It has been built to accommodate a thousand people and it has been decided to remove the wooden seats and replace them with plush ones to ensure greater comfort to those who sit a long time before the proceedings start. Those who can spare the time walk, others go by train and others get there just in time. I myself never go. There are special facilities for the ladies presided over by the minister who gives them all the assistance they need. They all sit together and sing during the proceedings the last time my wife went was ten years ago. She had to stand all the time. Hoping that we have been of help to you and that you will be attending regularly. Oh, P.S. The hymn sheets are to be found behind the door. And now for something completely different. Um, this is a poem which I wrote some years ago now, actually. Um, because I just love the river and uh, so I'd like to share it with you. So the river to me is a beautiful sight, transparent by day and inky by night. But whatever the season or time of the day, a story it has for those who will stay. In springtime she flows with full tides and fast, rushing as if to wipe out the past as all of God's creatures prefer to give birth, the banks erupt in excitement and mirth. Mr and Mrs, Swan, Coot and Duck gaggle together as if wishing good luck, as each brood in turn is carefully taught the art of swimming, survival and sport. Pretty soon, these creatures become teenage chaps and summer begins with all its mishaps as sailors, skiers and fishermen too never give thought to wildlife so new. But as summer progresses they soon learn the art to spot trouble coming and move quick as a dart. Also of course that the public bring bread to throw and they all become very well fed. In autumn, as most of the boats drift away, they chatter together as if to say, we're sorry of course that the begging is poor but we enjoy having our river once more. As winter approaches, the waters run cold. Then young, once again, must learn from the old to hunt and to catch, to help them survive, to keep tummies full and spirits alive. Snow on the river is a fairy tale land, as trees glisten and shine and all swimming is banned. So these creatures of wonder just go for a skate they know Mother Nature looks after their fate. And then the whole process begins once again, as snow gives way to strong winds and rain. From the banks come the sounds of nature's own rhyme, 
as babies of last year become parents this time. My last little piece is a day when I took some friends on the river and have headed up a hoy there. I've invited some of my chums to join me on a river trip. Would you like to come along too? Are you ready? Let's look at you. Old jeans, woolly pulley, real wellies, life jacket, great. Whoa, where's the paintbrush? You don't think you're going to just go for a float, do you? Well, no, there is always something to do. Okay, so we've arrived at the slipway. Here's my dinghy, jump in. No, don't all go to the same side. Phew, that was close. Now sit still whilst I row, please. It's blooming heavy with you lot here, but hey-ho. Thankfully, we're nearly across the main river. Honestly, some cruises have no respect for human power. Eek! Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he should have gone to a well-known high street opticians. Approaching the basin now. Right, safely moored up. Climb ashore, everyone. Careful. Hearken to the unique music. Lapping water on the quayside. Spars rattling against the aluminium masts. The deep slurping noise of a large craft heaving and dropping back into the water, moored opposite, caused by the swell of a passing hire boat. Oh dear, there's also the sound of the not-so-dulcet tones of the poor chap four plots up, whose two-stroke outboard won't start. His own personal frustrated accompaniment to each failed pull-cord motion is not necessarily always matching the gentle grunt cluck of the cooped and moorhen. As always, the ducks seem to laugh at the whole thing. Think about it, they do. I feel so sorry for him. He may as well stop, make a cuppa and wait. He's obviously flooded it by now. Given a while, he'll have more success. I open up my beloved Edith. She's a 39-foot timber centre cockpit, six-berth cruiser, a total recipe for tearing up pound notes on maintenance disaster. But she gives pleasure to all who spend time on her. Everyone clambers aboard except one who was kind enough to release the mooring lines after I started the engine, before nipping smartly onto the deck. Terrific! We're off! Turning to port, back into the main river, we must first negotiate the yacht club boys, together with all the jotty, jolly yachties shouting, Water! Leo, boom coming over and all that. Uh-oh, that's one just capsized. Don't worry, here's a club rescue boat and they'll soon fish him out. We pass now, the river to ourselves, gently chugging our way over the glassy water, shining brightly in the sun's reflection. As we pass a windmill, someone says, Quick, look, there's a grieve. Too late, it dived. The heron, though, See how regally he stands, motionless, awaiting an unsuspecting fish for lunch. Talking of which, here's Salhouse Broad. Time to moor up and eat. Sandwich, anyone? Always plenty to watch here. Children paddling on the beach, some swimming under careful parental supervision. Single-handed dinghy sailors, tourist passenger vessels noisily pass by, music echoing 
from their saloons and everyone waving. Making our way back, we notice reed cutters, marsh irises, and here's a treat, the Albion Wherry with her huge black sail glides silently on the other side of the river towards us. Securely moored up, back in the car, relaxed and reflecting. Hope you enjoyed your trip. Never mind the painting, is always next week. Bye bye sailor. Many thanks to Margaret too and Julie. Dusty will be with us in a while. In the meantime, here's some more news. Weatherspoon's staff member tests positive for coronavirus. Eight staff members have been sent home to self-isolate after a worker at a Weatherspoon's pub tested positive for coronavirus. So far, customers who have visited the William Adams in Galston High Street have not been notified under the NHS Test and Trace system and are being told only to get tested if they have symptoms of the virus. On Sunday, August 2nd, an environmental services team visited the pub, which had been thoroughly cleaned. Officials said all correct procedures had been followed and the pub was allowed to continue trading, warning that could change if more cases were confirmed. Pub spokesman Eddie Gershon said 29 staff members had been identified as being on site at the same time as the infected worker during the week beginning July the 27th. All were being contacted and so far eight had confirmed they had been in close contact with the employee who has COVID and were now in isolation for 14 days. He said an employee at the William Adams Galston came into contact with someone outside the pub, as we understand it, who had tested positive for COVID-19. The employee arranged for a test which was positive. Following environmental health guidelines, the company has asked those employees working in close proximity with the affected employee to self-isolate for 14 days. The advice Weatherspoon has received from the authorities indicates that those employees working with someone who tests positive should self-isolate if they have been within two metres for 15 minutes or more. For example, working next to someone on the bar or in the kitchen. In these circumstances, it has not been the advice of the environmental health authorities to close the premises. Since reopening on July the 4th, Weatherspoon has implemented regular surface cleaning has provided hand sanitizers and has implemented social distancing measures in all pubs. It is not possible to completely eliminate risk, but the combination of stringent hygiene measures and the self-isolation of staff helps to minimise it. The staff member was confirmed as being in direct contact with a case outside of their work. No other workers are displaying any symptoms and are subject to a health assessment before each shift. On Monday lunchtime, just a handful of drinkers were inside, with no food being served due to staff shortages. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said members of its environmental services visited the Weatherspoon pub in Galston at the weekend due to being advised of a confirmed case of COVID-19 among its staff. It said, 
The council officer confirmed that COVID secure measures were in place in line with government guidance and the correct procedures had been followed, including with respect to thorough cleansing and the staff member self-isolating. Based on the procedures in place and this being a single confirmed case, we are comfortable with that premises continuing trading. We will liaise with Norfolk County Council and Public Health England, which have the powers to consider closing a premises in the event of an outbreak, which is defined as two or more confirmed cases. Mr Gershon said, customers test and trace details had not yet been requested. A spokesman for the Department of Health said people would only be contacted if they were deemed to be at risk and that anyone who was worried should only arrange a test if they displayed symptoms. However, people on social media expressed concern about whether they were at risk. One man said his 62-year-old mother-in-law, who suffers with a chronic lung disease, was extremely worried about the prospect of catching the virus and had arranged for a test in Lowestoft. She now faced an anxious wait for results, having self-isolated for months and having her shopping delivered. Originally, people thought it was someone causing trouble and spreading fake news, he said. But when we realised it was true, it was worrying. Mr Gershon moved to refute claims the pub was asking staff to lie to customers about the issue. He said, no one is being asked to lie. Weatherspoons is a well-run company and would not engage in such actions. Relief as parking allowed again on the high street. Parking on a high street has been restored after barriers placed on the road to allow room for social distancing were removed. From mid-June, motorists were unable to park on Galston High Street after Great Yarmouth Borough Council had placed barriers along two of the narrowest stretches of pavement, giving more space to pedestrians as part of measures introduced to support the reopening of non-essential shops. Some traders had expressed concern, however, that the lack of parking meant customers were not visiting the high street, which in normal circumstances would be bustling, but has been notably quiet even since the easing of lockdown. The barriers were removed last week to the relief of Kevin Huggins, chairman of Gorston Traders Association. He said, the high street is already picking up. I'm absolutely delighted that sense has prevailed. I'm delighted for all the traders. Councillor Carl Smith, council leader, said, when we introduced measures in June to support the safe reopening of non-essential retail, we were clear that these were temporary measures and authorities would monitor how people interact with the system over time, get feedback from businesses and shoppers, and make any necessary alterations. Originally, on-street parking was suspended along the two narrowest stretches of Galston High Street. After careful consideration and listening to feedback, we have now reopened both sections of parking, to assist customers with making quick pop-in visits to the adjacent local businesses, which will hopefully help to support local traders into recovery and at a challenging time. We continue to encourage all motorists to park considerately 
and heed the time restrictions on parking in those areas, which is being enforced. If you go shopping, do also remember to be mindful of social distancing. Follow signage in the streets and inside shops. Queue responsibly and remember to wear a face covering in shops. To assist in Galston High Street, we have been increasing floor markings to highlight the one-way system and stickers on lampposts reminding shoppers to keep left. We will continue to monitor all of the arrangements across the borough, including the reopening of these stretches of car parking provision. Now this is a nice story. Black Labrador rescued by jet skiers after swimming out to sea. A family have hailed a mystery knight in shining armour who rushed to the rescue when their dog got into trouble swimming out to sea. Douglas the Black Labrador was presumed lost when he disappeared from sight at Winterton after spotting a group of seals. But the five-year-old pet is back on dry land after a couple on jet skis roared to the rescue, encouraging him back to shore and eventually getting in the water with him. The drama erupted on Sunday at Winterton along a quieter stretch of beach when Douglas caught sight of some seals. His owner, Simon Nichols, a solicitor from Norwich, said, he's normally completely fine and well behaved. He saw a group of seals which is quite common and he started to swim towards them. But he just kept going and kept going to the point where we all started to get really worried. He was at least 500 metres off the coast and we were all despairing. A crowd had gathered on the beach. It did look like he was trying to get back to us but couldn't. It looked awful and at one stage we had to come to terms with the fact that we had lost him. Then, completely by chance, this couple went past on jet skis. They encouraged him by yelling at him but he started to swim away. One of them got in the water and started swimming with him. He's our hero. We just got lucky. Douglas, however, was none the worse for his ordeal and happy to get on with his walk, although he was very quickly put on the lead. Mr Nichols said he and his family were keen to thank Douglas's rescuers. We were in pieces on the beach until that brilliant chap and his partner performed their magical rescue. We are really driven to say thank you to this knight in shining armour in a black wetsuit and to warn other dog owners. It was one of the worst things I've ever been through in my life. It was a desperate feeling and we were all so relieved. We do not know who they were, but the whole family just want to thank them. Ah, oh, isn't that nice? Right, and now it's time for my meander through the mercury. And I've chosen some items that caught my eye from the Great Yarmouth Mercury of September 1963. And one of the headlines was, Bride Weds Twice. Many brides sigh wistfully as they pack away their once worn wedding gown. But Angela Margaret Webster had an opportunity to wear hers again. She was married twice in two days to the same husband, Mr John Henry Bone. The first wedding was at the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints in Galston and the second one at the Mormon Chapel, Surrey. And the couple had 12 bridesmaids. Now this is bad news for someone. 
car with £400 grabbed at bank. A man escaped in a car with £400 in the boot as the owner went to the bank. The car was later found abandoned a mile away, but the money had gone. Someone was luckier. A woman who bought a second-hand shirt on Yarmouth Marketplace found £21 in the pocket. She reported it to the police who were successful in tracing the owner. Now, what can you spend your money on? Um, cars. And in 1963, you could buy a 1959 Ford Anglia with a heater and wing mirrors for £275 and a 1961 Hillman Minx with radio and heater for £465. And for those who preferred two wheels, a 1957 Lambretta scooter for only £45. Luxuries, oh, wing mirrors and heaters, my word. Whatever comes next. Right, entertainment now. Dance night for over 21s. It was agreed at a meeting of the Entertainments and Publicity Committee that a trial period should be given to an over 21s night at the Floral Hall. It said that teenagers were catered for with the twist nights and there was also an old time night. Speaking of the Floral Hall, on Friday nights in September 1963, there was a Cheerio Galston and a Guinness night with Ray Stanley at the organ, admission one and sixpence. And if you wanted entertainment elsewhere, the Beverly Sisters were appearing at the Britannia Pier, Joe Brown at the Windmill, Harry Worth at the Wellington and Ken Dodd at the ABC. Back to Galston again, the good old Collie was showing Blue Murder at St Trinian's. Now I'm sure this next item didn't refer to any of the shows. Headline was Priest Attacks Vulgarities. Yarmouth has become a honky-tonk town and has been made so by cheap jacks and irresponsible shopkeepers. The Finance and General Purposes Committee was discussing a letter sent from a local priest concerning the sale of pornographic materials on Regent Road. The matter would be passed on to the Watch Committee and the Censorship Committee. And I have to say that word honky-tonk, Dick Emery comes to mind. I don't think he would have got away with half his material nowadays. Anyway, he made me laugh. And jobs now. Erie Resistor was advertising for girls and women, 40 hours per week, starting age 15 years, a wage of £5.16. shillings. Although there were several jobs advertised, there were 280 unemployed in Great Yarmouth, as opposed to 1962's figure of 324. Right, and how else would you spend your money in the shops? Well, Arnold's were offering rayon cocktail dresses for 89 and 11 pence, jersey wool suits for 99 and 11 pence, and those famous winkle picker shoes that were agony to wear and they ruined the lino, 49 and 11 pence per pair. And fashion for men, Elsie's in the market row had grey flannel trousers at 29 and 6 pence a pair, poplin shirts 18 and 11 pence, and jeans with turn-ups at 27 and 6 pence. And ladies could have their hair permed at Wards in King Street for 25 shillings. And the Star Hotel was offering afternoon tea for three shillings, luncheon 
eight and sixpence and dinner ten and sixpence. And from the top ten of 1963, we were listening to the Beatles' She Loves You, Freddie and the Dreamers' I'm Telling You Now, Billy J. Kramer, Bad to Me, and Elvis Presley, Devil in Disguise. Oh my word, my lost youth. Hopefully I'll bring you more next time. telling you now that was Freddie and the dreamers okay before the last part of the news we bring you the many shades of dusty well hello again everybody it's lovely to be with you on this gorgeous afternoon we've had some really interesting stuff today haven't we about rivers and children's hour I remember children's hour so well it was one of my favorite favorite programs I used to rush home from school to listen to that, always to dear old Uncle Mac, and then he was followed by somebody called David. I believe there was David. We had him later on. Yes, that's right. Yes, we yes. did indeed. Yes, we did. And Toy Town was my absolute favourite. Larry the Lamb. I can always see him now in my imagination. Oh, Mr. Mayor, sir. Oh, Mr. Mayor, sir. What shall we do? He was always asking questions of what the mayor could help him with, and it was really lovely. It was lovely, and and Julie's lovely piece about about rivers always makes me quite nostalgic because we have the broads all round us don't we and they're so lovely to go on and so peaceful and in Julie's little bit of messing about on the river reminds me of one of my favorite books the wind in the willows tales from the river bank because being a bear of very little brain I I start to wonder about a lot of things and I suddenly thought to myself I wonder where the fish keep their money. In the riverbank, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, that sounds like a little bit of a, a lead-in to a little bit of Norfolk squit. I'll just see if that old Morgan Miller's about. She's about here somewhere, I know she is. She might want to talk to you because she hasn't talked to you for ages, has she? Well, hello, me old booties. How are you getting on, then? How are you getting on together? That's a long time since we see each other, isn't it? In this funny old time. Do you know, I was thinking to myself the other day, as a lot of old road rage about, even though that's a, it's been a bit quieter than it has been lately, but uh, I don't know, I was, I, I tell you something that happened to me the other day. I was behind a cyclist, he was a messing about in the road, well he was a going this way and that way all over the place, and I very near knocked him over. I shouted at him, I say, look out! And he say, 
Why, are you coming back? <laughs> I thought, well, that was nice, wasn't it? Anyhow, he was quite nasty, he was. And then I went to the garage, and I asked the chap there, I say, can you just check my tyres for me, please, old dear? And uh, he say, yes, yeah, certainly, he say. One, two, three, four. You're all right, you've got four. I said, oh, no, I don't mean that. I say, go get that old green gauge thing you use, whatever it's called, and check them properly. Oh, he say, oh, all right, and off he went. And he come back, and he come back with some black and white paint. And there he proceeded to paint squares all over my tyres. Well, he made a right mess, I'm not going to say to him, are you a mechanic? He say, no, I aren't a mechanic, he say, but I'm a chiropodist. So he say, I can give you a tow then, can't I? So I thought, oh my word, I've got a right one here. Anyhow, talking about cars, I remember an instant when I was a copper, many years ago now that was, that was a Sunday morning in Felixstowe. I was holding the fort in the station and a chap he come, not looking very happy he come into my station. I say, good morning sir, I say you look a bit stressed, how can I help you today? Hmm, he say, I can't report an accident. Oh dear, I say, what happened? He say, well I was driving along behind this here woman. I thought, yeah, here we go. So he say, she stopped. I pipped my horn, flashed my lights, but she wouldn't move. Oh, so I drew alongside her. And so she wound her window down and she shouted at me. She say, pig! I wound my window down and I say, cow. Well, then I drove on and ran over a pig. Oh, dear. So... That was what happened there, you see. I, I met some funny old people when I was there, you know, doing all that stuff, but that was a lovely time. Anyhow, yeah, I've got to go now, and I'll leave you to the other one who talked to you a bit more posh than I do. Yes, well, I'm back again now, so um, I'm just thinking about Margaret's lovely thing that she wrote um, and shared with you the other few weeks ago about Galston and uh, the swimming pool, if you remember. And it was beautiful. And one of the things that <clears throat> I remember particularly was just a little further on from the swimming pool. And, and I know that Margaret, because we've talked about it often when we've walked on the pier, I know that she uh, holds dear the sound I'm going to tell you about, which was the foghorn. And um, it's, it's a very mournful sort of sound. And to be honest, when I was little, it used to frighten me. I've just found an inscription here which really sums up exactly. On Galston Pier, the beast bellowed in the fog and I held my dad's hand tight. The sound was loud and lonesome and it was coming from something huge and scary, somewhere out there in the murk. And that's exactly how I felt when I heard that to begin with. But um, I'd like to tell you a bit about the foghorn because we really can't afford to lose it and I know that that's about to happen, I think, with everyday technology. And uh, there were more than 100 foghorns working round the British Isles in their pomp in the second half of the last century from giant steam-powered Victorian and Edwardian trumpets to the compressed air horn 
that I heard that day are on the pier. And the sound completely obliterated everything else. And this was the subject of Foghorn Requiem, a remarkable piece of music performed in 2013 by three brass bands, the horns of 50 ships at sea and the foghorn itself. What a sound that was. The sound completely obliterated everything else. As it faded away, uh, people looked around and saw loads of people crying. They looked emotional or had a glazed look in their eyes. The sound was really deeply connected to the landscape and meant something powerful to people who had actually grown up there. And in real life, a story as poignant as any in fiction lies behind the invention of the first modern foghorn. A 19th century Scottish engineer called Robert Foulis lost his wife just after she'd given birth to their daughter Euphemia. The grieving widow, widower set off to start a new life with his daughter in America. But they only got as far as Canada when their ship was hit by a storm. Foulis settled there instead, walking home in dense fog years later. He heard the sound of his daughter Euphemia playing piano and realised that the high notes were muffled but the low notes were carrying a long way. And Foulis invented a steam-powered horn that began to save lives at St John Harbour in 1859 and the idea spread around the world fast. However, Foulis had failed to take out a patent and died in poverty six years later. It was rather a sad story. Mm. Heard from afar and sweetened by distance, the noise his invention makes is almost beautiful. As recently as 2015, the foghorns on the River Mersey were voted among the nation's favourite coastal sounds by members of the National Trust. Close up, it's very different. Lisa Otendagini, one of the artists who created Foghorn Requiem, says, it is incredibly, roaringly, aggressively loud and really affects you physically. The recordings that are available don't do justice because it is so weird and strangely human or animalistic. Beautiful, lonely or maddening, it's clear that the foghorn is still a powerful force in the imagination, even though so few remain. Most of what's left are local horns with more limited range, and Trinity House says it still runs 23 hazard warning sounds across England and Wales, the Channel Islands and Gibraltar. So, my friends, while we lament the passing of the biggest beef beasts, it seems a few foghorns are still out there saving lives. And so long may they blow. Where would we be without these real inventions of things? I was interested in, you know I love words. I absolutely love words. And whether I'm going to read this to you now, I don't think I probably will. We might run out of time. But next time I'm going to share with you an article from the Eastern Daily Press. So I want you in, me in the meantime to think about some of the things today that we um, say that are really rather weird. 
um, in, in our expressions. Why can't we use the old ones? So why don't you think about some till the next time I talk to you about that. It's going to be very interesting to see what you think because you might like to write in and tell us. So anyway, moving on and staying on our pier. I was walking along the pier at Galston the other morning and as always I was fascinated by the actions of the seagulls feeding their young, their strong bodies with gleaming feathers, wheeling and dealing and crying, soaring into the air, drifting as if on a cloud and reaching the perfection of their flight. As I watched, I recalled a passage from a story that we studied at Theological College many years ago in the 70s and it was later to become a film some of you may have seen it. It's called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And if I may, I'd like to share a little bit of the dialogue with you as sort of food for thought. Soaring toward heaven, Jonathan asked his instructor a question. Why aren't there more of us here? When I came from there, there were thousands and thousands, said his instructor. As far as I can see, Jonathan, you are pretty well a one-in-a-million bird. Most of us came along ever so slowly. We went from one world into another that was almost exactly like it, forgetting right away where we had come from, not caring where we were headed, just living for the moment. Do you have any idea, John? how many lives we must have gone through before we ever got the first idea that there is more to life than eating or fighting or power in the flock. A thousand lives, John. Ten thousand. Until we began to learn there is such a thing as perfection and that our purpose for living is to find that perfection and show it forth. We choose our next world through what we have learnt in this one. Learn nothing and the next will be the same, just the same, the same limitations and lead weights to overcome. Jonathan is talking and, and, and listening very, very carefully now to his instructor. He said to him, you will begin to touch heaven, John, the moment that you touch perfect speed. Now that isn't flying a thousand miles an hour, or a million, or flying at the speed of light. Because any number is a limit, and perfection doesn't have limits. Perfect speed, my son, is being there. It's kind of fun. I reckon that's food for thought as we journey on, you know. Maybe, maybe, and I stood on that pier looking at those seagulls, maybe we can learn from them that there is more to life and that all we have to do is to just keep going at our own pace as we simply strive to be the best we can. So I'll leave that thought with you. Keep well. Keep safe, keep striving, and above all, have fun. And may God bless you all until we talk again. <laughs>
Thanks, Dusty. Back with Margaret now with the last part of the news. Two East Coast destinations in Airbnb's top 10 most popular for staycations. Great Yarmouth and Lowestoft are among the top 10 seaside destinations on Airbnb among the rise of staycations. The booking website has revealed the most sought-after UK destinations this summer, with Lowestoft the 6th most popular and Great Yarmouth the 9th. The platform has seen a rise in customers booking homes following the easing of lockdown restrictions earlier this year, prompting the rise in seaside holidays. Patrick Robinson, Director of Public Policy at Airbnb, said, Airbnb is helping to turn the Great British Summer Staycation into an economic boon for coastal communities. As more Brits explore and rediscover the UK's stunning seaside towns, hosts are reopening their doors to provide authentic and safe stays that escape the crowds, while boosting their earnings and reigniting local economies. Between July the 4th and the 18th, hosts on Airbnb in the two towns made more than £200,000 in total. Claire, a host on Airbnb in Lowestoft, said, Escaping to the unsport beaches of the area, with over 50 miles of coastline, most of which are designated areas of natural beauty, with plenty of space to breathe in the sea air and take in the big skies, makes for a perfect seaside escape. The rest of the top 10 includes Colwyn Bay, Bridlington, Minehead, Bognor Regis, Morecambe, Tenby, Southend and Ayr. Floral tributes removed from seaside memorial benches over virus concerns. A man has pledged to challenge the council after it stripped a string of memorial benches of floral tributes amid the pandemic. Ray Clark, 60, tagged Great Yarmouth Borough Council's actions as disgraceful, saying it was upsetting for families, some of whom visited the seafront at Galston every day to honour their loved ones. The former offshore worker discovered the small posy he had left in memory of family members was gone while on a walk, along with others. The scenic cliff top and lower prom are lined with numerous benches, many of which have dedicated family plaques and flower-filled vases attached. Great Yarmouth Borough Council said it refrained from moving items where possible, but said an increase had resulted in more complaints and difficulties in social distancing. And while Mr Clark agreed some people had gone over the top, making it harder to sit at a social distance, he asked why there was no consultation or an effort to find a softer solution. He said, it's a compromise I'm after and it's disrespectful. I was quite upset about it and feel very strongly about it. These vases cost next to nothing. And if they said they would fix one to the back of the bench, which some people already do, and charge a small fee, that would be fine. I fully understand where they're coming from, but it needs to be done properly. Mr Clark has a family plaque on a bench near the ravine, which remembers his mother, father, brother and stepfather. He added, his father suffered a heart attack and died on one of the benches 
when Ray was just 12, adding to the poignancy. Mr. Clark has now set up a Facebook group called GYBC Give Us Back Our Flowers on Benches on Galston Seafront to harness, support and raise awareness. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, We try to be understanding of any items left on benches and do our best to refrain from removing them where possible. However, recently the items have increased significantly, resulting in complaints regarding access to the benches. The coronavirus situation only escalated this situation and complaints have increased as items were limiting opportunity for the benches to be cleaned and hindering people's attempts at social distancing. Therefore, we had to make the decision to clear benches of all additional items, as per the guidance given when a plaque is purchased. Anything that has been removed has been left on the grass embankments next to the bench it was removed from. Rules around plaques do state that flowers and vases are not allowed, but there has been little or no enforcement for many years. A memorial plaque costs £230 plus VAT for a 10-year dedication, with the only sea-facing availability being on the lower prom. Fingers crossed! Hippodrome performers anxiously hoping the show will go on. Normally, performers at the Hippodrome in Great Yarmouth would be disappointed with an audience of only 15 people. But for Johnny Mack, comedian at the venue's Summer Spectacular, the dress rehearsal on Wednesday afternoon, August the 5th, felt like playing Wembley. Mr Mack, from Scotland, is part of a group of entertainers, including acrobats, trapeze artists, dancers and fire eaters, who were assembled in the space of two weeks to thrill audiences this August and September. The show was originally scheduled to begin on August the 1st, but after a last-minute government U-turn delaying the reopening of theatres for another two weeks, the performers have had to wait and bite their nails. Back in March, Mr Mack packed his bags and was ready to come to Great Yarmouth to perform at the Easter show, but then the country went into lockdown and all performances were called off. When, last month, it looked possible the Hippodrome would be able to put on a show this summer, he was in the town within 48 hours. Just doing this dress rehearsal felt like performing to a thousand people. I feel like I've been reborn, he said. It's a strange experience being a live performer or comedian. We crave that audience. Jack Jay, ringmaster and producer, said the last few weeks have been a real roller coaster ride. At the start of July, it looked like the circus would be able to put on a show this summer and he quickly assembled a group to perform. It was during what was supposed to be the final dress rehearsal on Friday, July the 31st, the team learned of the government's U-turn. It was crushing, Mr J says, but we're now hoping it will come back on the 15th. It would be tragic if the show could not go ahead, he said. While adapted to the current restrictions, with a shorter running time of 80 minutes and no interval, this year's Summer Spectacular is the Hippodrome's typical thrilling mix of comedy, acrobatics, trapeze artists, dancing, fire-breathing and other daring acts. But will people get to see the show? 
Government guidelines currently indicate theatres will reopen on August the 15th. Fingers crossed, Mr J says. Fingers crossed. And this is good news for some. Scratch card millionaires trade world tour for camper van trip to Great Yarmouth. A couple who scooped a million pound lottery scratch card prize have traded in a world tour for a camper van trip to, among other places, guess where, Great Yarmouth. Andrew and Paula Hancock, who thanked their cat Shortcake for their win after rushing out to buy pet food, had planned to take their 13-year-old son Xavier to the Tokyo Olympics. But instead they had to change their holiday plans due to the coronavirus lockdown, exchanging destinations abroad for a staycation. Mr Hancock, 47, said, We had a couple of holidays planned prior to May time, Cyprus and Barcelona with friends. But we also had tickets for the Olympics in Tokyo. We were then going to fly from Tokyo to Bali because that's where we had our honeymoon. And then we were going to go to Darwin at the top of Australia and then further down into Western Australia. Mrs Hancock, 44, added, we were feeling a little bit down, so we just thought, let's go and make the most of it. There's lots of lovely places here to go to and see, and we can do day trips. We've booked for Coniston Water in the Lake District. We're going to Great Yarmouth, and we're doing Harrogate next. The couple who sold their catering business after their jackpot win said they wanted to take their son to the Olympics because he was a keen judo fan. Mr Hancock had picked up a £5 Monopoly Millionaire scratch card, winning one of the four £1 million jackpot prizes. In a rush of excitement, Mr Hancock then forgot to buy six-year-old Jin to Chom shortcakes food, so the pet ended up with ham later on that evening. Well, I don't know, you'd have thought they'd have given the cat some smoked salmon or something. Anyway, good luck to them. Man in court over pound stretcher attack. A man who smashed a town centre shop window has been handed a community order and told to pay £100 in compensation. Lawrence Murphy, 29, of Albert Square, Great Yarmouth, was charged with criminal damage, burglary and assault on an emergency worker following the incident on Sunday, August 2nd at around 8.30pm. He appeared at Norwich Magistrates Court on Tuesday, August the 4th for sentencing, having admitted the charges. He was given a community order to carry out 150 hours of unpaid work and ordered to pay £100 in compensation. Officers said on Monday, August the 3rd, they were called to a business premises on Regent Road following reports of a burglary. The window of the premises was smashed as a result of the incident, they said. Murphy was arrested at the scene and taken to Great Yarmouth Police Investigation Centre. Hospital investigation after staff find damaged vials of powerful opiate. A Norfolk hospital is investigating after staff discovered damaged vials containing an opiate drug 50 times stronger than heroin. In a letter, the James Paget University Hospital in Galston said there had been a number of controlled drug incidents involving fentanyl, an opiate 100 times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin, 
taking place in theatres since April the 18th this year. The JPUH is investigating eight incidents after theatre staff found damaged or broken fentanyl vials. An incident in relation to controlled drugs could include accidental breakage or finding a drug with damaged packaging or casing. Each incident must be reported and investigated. Karen Hansed, Director of Governance and Transformation, wrote to staff on July the 27th over the increase of incidents and to outline the measures the hospital will be taking on its investigation. The letter said it was most likely that the fentanyl vials were being tampered with to either cause disruption, to gain financially or for personal use. She wrote, it must be a very difficult time for all of you and if you personally need help or you believe a colleague is acting strangely and showing signs of fentanyl side effects or withdrawal symptoms, now is the time to come forward if you've been involved in these incidents or are worried about a colleague. If no one comes forward and the fentanyl incidents continue, I will have no option but to hand this over to the police to investigate. We will of course ensure that you will be supported through this process to reduce anxiety at this very stressful time. The Trust said regular checks of all stock are carried out and has put some additional measures and processes in place as additional safety precautions, with the letter referring to additional CCTV surveillance. The letter also says NHS improvement has reported a rise in fentanyl abuse in the country, with the drug causing a number of side effects from hallucinations and drowsiness to chest pains and confusion. Joanne Segersby, Chief Operating Officer for the JPUH, said, We're internally investigating a small number of controlled drug incidents relating to fentanyl, and this is in progress. As part of our investigation, we have written to staff in the area concerned to show how they can safely come forward with any information they think might be relevant, should they wish to, and to ensure they know that support is available. Well, that's all the news for me for this time. Thank you for spending time with the Grapevine team. So, until we meet again, take care, keep safe and keep well. Bye for now. That's it for yet another edition of Grapevine, and, as usual, I must inform you that Grapevine Volume 40, Number 32, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. From Margaret and the crew and myself, it's bye for now. Aileen will be back with us next week when we hope that you will give us the pleasure of your company for yet another edition of your local news roundup. In the meantime, have a great week and keep well and safe. Bye for now.